eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. What's up? What's happening? I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And Logan, this is the last Take Command Podcast of the Dan Snyder era. That's pretty wild, huh? I mean, that's something I never thought I'd hear in my life. You know what I mean? Like, or in my lifetime of covering the team. Like, I just thought he was going to be like a constant fixture here, you know? But it kind of calls you back to like, are you familiar with the story of Ozymandias? Are you familiar with that story? I feel like somewhere in the deep recesses of my mind, I've heard yeah. it before, but familiar would not be a term I'd use. Yeah, it's a poem about uh, this 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 obelisk in the middle of a desert, right? And on the bottom of the inscription, it basically says like, look at all that I have built, like look at all I've surveyed, I've conquered time, all this stuff, and like basically everything's been destroyed. I kind of felt like um, that's kind of what happened here a little bit, you know, like this legacy that everyone that I thought was going to be kind of forever. Yep, is now like we're moving on, which is kind of yeah. crazy. It is uh, the, the first podcast of the Josh Harris era next week uh, yeah. to wrap the Snyder era and look ahead to the Harris era. Kevin Sheehan will join us in a little bit. But before we get there, Logan, let's uh, let's pick up where we left off the other day. Uh, and that is talking about some of our takeaways from the play callers. Um, mm. And there was one specifically that we kind of left on the mat that I wanted to talk to. And it also intersects with the show quarterback that everyone is raving about on Netflix. Very, very good show. Uh, worthwhile. Got renewed for a second season. Pretty pumped about that. 
Um, but it, it's this human element of coaching. And you and I look at this not only as, you know, someone who played football for you, someone who's covered it for me, but, you know, we take this into the coaching that we do, um, you know, on the personal training world and the strength and conditioning world. Uh, you obviously do coaching uh, one-on-one skills training type of stuff with some of the, the NFL players that you work with. But the importance of coaching the human and how, say, a guy like Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay, Mike McDaniel, uh, Matt LaFleur evolved on that over the years. What do you remember from those guys in 2012 and who kind of stuck out in that that role and, and how that played into the success that was had in that season? Well, I think it's really interesting because like it's kind of two pronged, like as a coach, I think you you probably understand this a little bit. There's like a technical element, there's like a tactical element, right? And so like with football, I kind of looked at it, especially with regards to the quarterback position, because you made reference to that show, um, that there's like kind of how you install the offense is a big deal. And one of the things like I remember Kirk with Kyle being like kind of right in his sweet spot, because Kyle's very methodical, like, hey, you know, this isn't there, we're going to go here, like one to two, if this is the read, blah, 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 blah. And it was really interesting because when Kyle left and Jay came in and Jay was kind of the offensive coordinator, Jay had a very different feel for coaching quarterbacks and coaching the position. And what I mean by that is, and this isn't wrong, but it just is like what speaks to your, um, what speaks to your player, right? So what, uh, what Jay is kind of saying, it's like, Hey man, like, you know, if you feel this backside comeback, we got to get there like versus this coverage, blah, 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 blah. And Kirk didn't really work like that. You know, he, that wasn't like his modus operandi. He wanted something a little bit more regimented, something that would keep him out of trouble consistently. And then I forget the quarterbacks coach at the time. He was a really nice guy, been around the league for a couple of years. You probably covered Matt, him. Matt Cavanaugh? Cavanaugh. Yeah. And Cav, yeah. I remember came in as the quarterback coach and Kirk kind of just took off. And I remember I was at lunch with Cav or we were walking up for a meeting one day. I was like, you know, what did you do? Like what happened? He's like, Kirk is a guy that needs structure. And so I identified that and I said, how do we apply structure to this kind of feel that Jay is trying to get going here for Kirk, you know? And I think that was something that was illuminating for me, right? As a, as a coach and, and as a player at the time, it was like, you know, I'd have a whole bunch of different uh, coaches, right? And so, you know, just talking from my own experience, I had a coach who was hyper detailed, hyper organized, and his standard was perfection. And that I thought was what I wanted and what I needed at the time, but it really just stressed me out super bad. And it made me kind of anxious. Like I was never going to be good enough. And I was always looking for and seeking approval. And then I went to a different team and had a different coach. And he was, a, he was an excellent technical coach, ta technical, tactical coach, but always was like, Hey man, you know, this could be better, but just so you know, this is a win on this play. It might not be the prettiest thing in the world, but it's a win. And that took a lot of pressure off of me. And so kind of understanding how best to communicate with the player and communicate the offense with the player, I think is really, really interesting. And so you let's bring it back to the play caller series. Kyle, I know I'm all over the place, but Kyle is a guy who's going to call his play and he's immediately looking at the sheet for the next play. Jimmy Garoppolo signs in San Francisco and he comes from uh, the Mike Daniels, Mike no. Uh, he comes from New England and he's got yeah, uh, Josh there? McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, thank you. And Josh McDaniels does it a little bit differently. He kind of calls the play and then has his coaching cues on that play on the sheet that he kind of reads the quarterback. Hey, you know, 18, 18 Oscar. Remember, we're canning it to the three technique this week. Then I'm looking at my play. And so when Jimmy came here, Kyle was like, man, figure it out. Like I'm calling plays. And Jimmy had to go to Kyle and be like, man, I need a little bit more support from you as a coach. 
And Kyle, <clears throat> Kyle was like, okay, cool. Like I can just say, Hey, you know, alert this, think about this. If we get this coverage, think about this. It wasn't like he was coaching it the way Sean was with Jared golf, for example, but it was just like a little bit of supplemental kind of infrastructure for each play. Just so Jimmy was like, okay, yeah. Versus cover three. I got to work the line side. Okay, great. Versus uh, this play pass. I'm, I'm reading the post safety. Great. Boom. You know, and right. just kind of into the play and just those things I think are what make great coaches like the Kavanaugh thing, identifying Kirk doesn't like this kind of ambiguous structure. Kyle understanding, Hey, I need to kind of adjust this. And even Sean with Jared Goff understanding, like he needed basically me to tell him what to do for a while. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's all, that's all good coaching. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's and the thing is like good coaching is not giving every player all the answers in the way Sean was or leaving them alone in the way Kyle did. It's understanding what players need, what, Correct. and the example I love so much from the quarterback series is Kirk's, I wouldn't say unflappable, but it's hard. He's hard to flap. Um, he is pretty, pretty even keeled, but there are times where he gets frustrated. Um, he's, he's human. It's the heat of battle. Uh, and, and he gets worked up. And what Kevin learned, probably learned here and then remembered and, and applied in Minnesota oh. is that if he goes to Kirk when he's wound up, they're just going to get in a fight and then be mm -hmm. mad at each other. And that's not going to help anyone. If right. he lets Kirk blow off steam for two minutes, goes over and is like, you all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And he, he kind of gets it out of his system. Then he can coach him. And, mm -hmm. and there's, you know, and Kevin explicitly talks about this in the series of like, I just learned that on the rare times when Kirk gets really, really frustrated, going over to him is, is a waste of my time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so understanding who needs what, who needs the push, who needs to be left alone, who will sort themselves out. Cause I think that's a problem that a lot of coaches have is they wind up over coaching. Like you just sometimes need to let players sort themselves out. And I think, you know, Sean's, I don't want to call it inability to leave golf alone, but perhaps if, in hindsight, would Sean have given Jared a little bit more leash at times to allow him to come along? Or was there a point where he needed less of that information and where there's resentment that builds? And mm -hmm. so there's, there is the mix of needing to do the job and like, what does it take to succeed? What's it take on this particular play or in this practice rep or this whatever to create the win and, and to get, across this finish line while also keeping the larger race in play of mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I'm going to have to get the next win too. And that's where I think like take it away from kind of the personality management, but to, to extrapolate on that, I don't know if it's an analogy on that, on that thought process, <laughs> right. Is like, you can't coach every game. Like it's a playoff game. And like baseball is the best example of this. Mm. You can't, throw your your best starting pitcher every night your goal is not to win 162 games your goal is to win as many of the 162 as possible and sometimes that's going to take mean taking a risk or even a short-term l for a long-term gain mm -hmm. when you're in game seven of the world series everything you got i don't care about tomorrow i'm trying to win right now and and the the coaches who understand that difference and can thrive under those circumstances, whether it's the pressure now playoff or surviving uh, the entirety of a regular season are the ones that ultimately have long, successful careers and develop good relationships with players over time. Yeah. And I think you, you while you were talking, you made me think of two stories. Uh, one about Sean and one about Kyle. Um, so the one about Sean, like, so he coached me as a tight end here in 2011, 12, I want to say, was that right? Yep. 12, 13, maybe. 
and then yeah. became the OC uh, when Jay came in. <clears throat> but one thing I will say about Sean is he is, you will never find maybe Kyle, a more detailed, more invested human being in the process. You know, that was one of the things about the, the Play Callers podcast that was so frustrating and kind of sad for me was like understanding the level of compulsion, the level of obsession that Sean has and like what that must have been like for him to kind of see it all kind of crumbling around him because his standard is absolute. He's the type of guy that would be, you know, game planning or something and be like, hey, oh, you know, they ran this, uh, you know, uh, hated a little three up the middle, which is a type of blitz that we used to call, but they ran it in 2012, you know, and it was like 2014. And, right. you know, everyone's kind of like, how do you know that? And he's got like a photographic memory for that stuff. And I remember being in practice one time and, you know, I was on the backside of a spacing concept and there's a rule with spacing when you're on the backside of the concept, you know, if you're off the ball, you run a uh, eight yard stop. And if you're on the ball, you run five yards over. But for that week, for whatever reason, we changed the release pattern and I messed it up. And I immediately knew that I messed it up because the quarterback was like, hey, man, you know, and I was like, oh, that's right. That's the rule. And Sean came over and immediately tried to like coach it. You know what I mean? And I remember him like kind of barking at me from the back, you know, kind of trying to get me going. And at the time, you know, I didn't even think twice about it, but I just was like, I looked at him and was like, hey, bro, like I got this, like, like leave me, like I've got it. I understand the correction. Like it was a slight mistake and understand like that's, that's Sean. And I'm not mad at Sean. I wasn't mad at Sean then, but that's his personality. Always right. trying to, to, to get every detail organized. And I could see how if you're a quarterback or, you know, like there's there's great examples of like Josh uh, Josh McDaniels is that his name up in New England. Yeah. He had the same kind of delivery. You know, hey Tom, you know, cover two, we're checking this. And uh, apparently, I, you know, I don't know Tom Brady specifically, but through the grapevine talking like Matt Ryan and guys like that, he'd have to tell Dan like uh, like McDaniels to like be quiet. He's like, I don't need it now. I'm past yeah. that needing yeah. it. You know, I'm Tom so, Brady, shut up. Yeah, yeah, like I've got it. Leave me alone. And so understanding like when a player needs you to come in, when a player needs you to back off. Like I remember when I was talking to Matt at the cafeteria one day, we were talking about, you know, him and Kyle and their relationship. And he said, you know, the guy that was instrumental to the relationship was Matt LaFleur because mm. Kyle and him were like fire and fire. And they would just like rip at each other. You know what I'm saying? And they'd fight. And it was like, kind of like what you're talking about with O'Connell and Kirk. Like they just could never have like a civil conversation because they're so hyper competitive. And the floor had to kind of be the intermediary between both parties to be like, all right, Matt, like, this is what, this is what Kyle's saying, you know, like, and, and because he was so calm, Matt would be okay. And then, you know, they'd both be pissed at Matt, but it was like, Matt was the guy that was like the personal touch guy. You're like, Oh, yeah. we don't need all that. We can back off of this. We can add this. So I think like that is such an integral part of understanding these guys geniuses because they are like elite, you know, they're, mm -hmm. they're crazy dialed in. And I think it's hard for people who are so dialed in to understand when people don't get stuff. And I think that's kind of what you see with yeah. some of these relationships. There's been so many legendary players who try to go into coaching and fail. Like Michael yeah. Jordan would be a terrible coach. Terrible coach. Um, and he was a bad owner in part because he'd see what people are maybe capable of physically and completely underestimate and discount what they were made of mentally because he just assumed everyone was built like him. And he's yeah. one of one. Um, and there were other great players that were not necessarily like that, but like Larry Bird was able to figure it out. It, Larry Bird's one of the most psychotically competitive people that's ever walked right. the planet, but he was a good coach. Um, he understood how to, to get it. And there's a phrase that Sean has that made its appearance in hard knocks a couple of years ago when, when they were featured. And it's one that I keep in mind all the time. And it's very simply, the standard is the standard. 
And in that way, it is uncompromising. Like, this is what it takes to win because the game demands this level of detail, this level of excellence to win. The standard is the standard. I think the magic of a guy like Sean when he's at his best and what why, like, I always thought O'Connell would make a great head coach. Um, and you see that in the quarterback series and what Kyle has learned and evolved on over the years and what makes Matt special, McDaniels, all these guys in their own special ways. Like, how do you actually get that standard out of people? And it's mm. not by just barking at guys and being like, hey, that's not good enough. Like sometimes that's what it takes, but yeah. sometimes it takes some finessing. Sometimes I was with Sean once and um, I think that the statute of limitations on this is up. So I'll tell this story quickly and then we'll get to Sheehan. But like Sean and I were at a bar, um, like, you know, just grabbing dinner and, and yeah. watching NBA playoff stuff. And on one of the other TVs was a uh, was the NFL 100 thing. And Jordan Reed popped up and there's all these highlights of Jordan. And Sean's just like watching and like going. He's like, oh, I remember. And it's hilarious because it's exactly what you said. He's like, oh, yeah, that was on third and seven in the whatever game in week, whatever. And I called X cross, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, man? It's crazy. Um, But he he texted Jordan is just like, you're such a beast. Like, and that little thing of like building Jordan up uh, and, and other things like that, that I'm sure he does and does now and did then all the time of understanding how to tap into that that human nature I think is incredibly valuable. It's what makes, I think the best coaches, the best Greg Popovich is notoriously mm. like this in the NBA. And I think even Belichick is like this more than people realize. Um, he it has the ability in the, the moment to do it um, or to, to get, you know, have that human moment. It's a little easier in football. I think to be a hard ass because guys are more replaceable and you know, the contracts aren't guaranteed and all that kind of stuff. But if you're just on guys all the time, it's going to wear thin. You're going to have no staying power. And I think that's the thing that's pretty magical about a Sean, a Kyle, you know, on down the list, Andy Reed guys who have been very successful in the NFL for a long time. They have the mix of tactical genius and the, the, the personal skills to not need to be fired after five years because a fresh voice is required. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, really like that was that in my opinion is one of Sean's like defining kind of benefits. You know what I mean? He's really, really good at like interpersonal relationships. You know, he's obsessed with football, but he's not like, it's not crazy. Like he, like, I'm sure when you were at the bar, he makes you feel so important, you know? Yeah. And he's, he's you know, great. he's, he's excellent. He remembers your name. He remembers some details about you. And so he's excellent at that stuff. But to your point, like, you know, I coach high school football now, right? I'm the OC at a high school and like it's so hard for me not to like lose my mind every day at practice because like the, like the standard is the standard, but I got to remember like these kids like are different, right? They're different than me. They're different. I wasn't, that's such a hard thing. And I think, um, you know, like in the case of Kyle, like understanding you need Matt LaFleur to talk to Matt Ryan and needing that kind of fire, that ice to your fire and Sean understanding like where your holes are and where your gaps are is another part of this that kind of is really beneficial because like, no one's as obsessed with football. I don't care if you're the most obsessed player of all time. Like you're not as obsessed with football as those, as those guys. And they need right. to understand how, how to communicate that to you. You know what I mean? So, yeah, for sure. And like, you know, when you're a college coach, you part of the reason you can have staying power is because the players move on every couple of yes. years. Yeah. Like you can be, you can drive guys super hard because they're gone by the time it wears thin on them. One, they're kids. They don't know any better. Two, yeah. you know, by the time that it wears thin, they graduate or they they leave for the NFL. You get in the NFL, it's grown men, 
or making more money than you in a mm. lot of cases. They got families like you can't grind on them the same way because they'll look at you and be like, hey, man, I'm an adult just like you are. You can screw off. And so finding that magic for a guy like Andy Reid, who's been doing it for 30 years at the head coach level is uh, pretty special. Yeah. And I think like, you know, you know, I mentioned you mentioned I work with a couple of NFL guys like it is a collaborative thing. It's not like, let me tell you what to do. It's like, hey, man, I'm thinking this today. And they're like, I'm not really feeling that. I'm not going to push you to do that. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's yeah. the, 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 the maturity of those athletes is such a different level. Um, and and that, that's what makes some of these guys so impressive. Like Andy Reid, you mentioned, like understanding like, hey, I got tr- to push you. I got to know when to coddle you. I got to know all these things. Um, and that just comes with experience. And so like in addition to them being brilliant football people, like they're also incredibly smart interpersonal people, you know, yeah. or have really smart interpersonal people around them. So um, it is a, uh, it's, it's a very interesting thing. Like something I wish that they, people talked more about with regards to coaching, you know, and, and some of that psychological, you know, huggy, touchy feely type stuff, you know, that you mentioned like with O'Connell. Um, but yeah, like it's uh, people just don't think about it that way. No, for sure. And can you do that? Can you be, a human while still extracting the standard. And that's, yeah. that's the hardest part. Yeah, All right. Uh, more on this. I talked about a little bit on the radio show. You can check that out on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash at Craig Hoffman. Uh, for the rest of the pod though, let's talk to Sheen. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com Therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com Therapy60. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Joining us to wrap the pod today, host of the Kevin Sheehan Show and the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, it's Kevin Sheehan. Uh, Logan's Kevin, a fan. 
I am a huge fan. I mean, big, big uh, round of applause. Keep yeah. I can, I can only talk or clap. You. So, uh, you, know, <laughs> you can do both. I, uh, sorry for my inability to multitask. I will now stop talking and, <laughs> uh, and off we go. Um, so, uh, you know, there's been so many people that have been writing and, and talking about kind of the end of the Snyder era. And I think there's a couple of, of different things that we can get into kind of the, the best in gigantic quotation marks, obviously some of the worst things, um, we'll keep it all on the field. The, the worst things that happen off the field are pretty self-explanatory and, and we've all talked about them, uh, at great length on, on Eric, Kevin and I have obviously on the radio shows. Um, but when you, when you think of the football side of the, the Snyder era, as we finally get to walk away from it, Kevin, like, how do you, how do you try to summarize what these 24 years have been from where it was to where we are now? Um, well, first of all, no one would have ever believed it 24 years ago. I mean, this was, and you guys weren't here. Um, this town was unified by this thing more than anything else, the football team and the love for the football team. And there was this love affair that went beyond just the winning. Um, there was a feeling that this team was really a part of the community and that it was a proud member of the community and we were proud to have it as a member of the community. Like I, I've mentioned many times and I talked about it on today's show, there are lovable losers in sports. You know, the Cubs fans never left them after all of those years. Um, and if they had lost as much as they did lose over 24 years, but behaved differently, I don't think the, you know, the animosity would be at the level that it became, or really the apathy, which grew out of anger. Um, I don't know if it would have ever happened, but it was the losing, it was the incompetence, and it was the outrageous arrogance that went along with it that made them so unlikable. You know, and Logan, I'm not talking about the players. The players in so many ways were the best part of the last 24 years. It wasn't the player's fault, but uh, people in the organization that he hired, um, there was just this combination in business that is the worst, which is, you know, incompetence and arrogance combined. Um, you know, they were so dumb for so long, kept making the same mistakes over and over again, but they never were self, you know, never had enough self-awareness to understand that it was their fault. So they never fixed them. Um, so we just got, you know, the rent cycle of bad over and over again. And nobody would have ever expected that. And I, you know, I've mentioned so many times over the years, there should have been a case study done and it still should be done on what Snyder was able to pull off, which was to chase away roughly by rough estimates, two thirds of what was arguably the most rabid fan base in the NFL and one of the most rabid fan bases in all of sports and two thirds of those people and, and that, that existed in 1999's diehards don't care anymore. And the question is, will they care now? And what will it take to get them to care again if they can care again? But what he pulled off was impossible. It was impossible. But the combination of incompetence and arrogance uh, led to it more than anything else. So here's the thing that I find so fascinating. I mean, of the many things that I find fascinating, right, Kevin? But you, you talk about how rabid it was in the 90s, obviously coming off three Super Bowls, but the community element and everything. What I always find 
just fascinating and like maddening and angering and to an extent tragic within the realm of the things that we're talking about is part of that rabid fan base was Dan Snyder. Not that I have any sympathy for the man um, by any stretch of the imagination, but like he was one of the guys who loved it. Like he was a part of that. He loved this thing so much. When you think back to him buying the team in 1999, like how hard is it to imagine where we are now that he let this thing get so far away considering he did love it in the same ways that so many else people loved it so much. He just had the money to buy it. I question uh, how much of a fan he really was. I think his father was a massive fan of the team. You know, there's just, there's so many times over the years where he would say things about the history of the team and it just was off. Like, uh, you know, I'm not saying that he wasn't a fan and that he didn't go to games or watch games with his father and enjoy it. I don't think he was the hardcore fan that many of us were and felt it as, you know, emotionally in terms of the attachment. Um, You know, in in recent days, I've gone back and read a lot of the quotes and read a a lot about the months and the weeks and the days leading up to the sale. And there was a lot about that, Craig. It was about, hey, he's a fan. And, you know, it's great that a fan bought the team. But I don't know. I, I guess I felt okay about it in the moment, but the bottom line is he was interested in making money more than anything else. And I'll, I'll never debate that he didn't want to win also. You know, both things were true. He just didn't know how to do the latter. You mentioned that there were some like kind of idiosyncrasies that led to the alienation of the fan base, like, you know, like hubris being one of them. Do you have an example of like, or, you know, maybe the biggest example of what you, you think led to that? Well, I mean, over the years, I mean, just the incompetence is obvious. I mean, the biggest mistake that he ever made organizationally, I think, football-wise, other than the treatment of people, um, was the firing of Marty Schottenheimer. That team, Mm. Logan, was 0-5 and looked all of it in the first five weeks. And he had veteran players like Bruce Smith and Daryl Green pushing back because he was running the Oklahoma drill. And he was building something with a lot of the young players. LeVar Arrington was one of those players. And um, they won eight of their final 11 games with Tony Banks at quarterback. Mm. And Marty, we know, because he won everywhere he went, uh, except in the postseason. Um, But he won everywhere he went. That thing was heading in that direction. It was heading straight up. And Dan wasn't having any fun. That's a quote. Dan wasn't having, I'm not having any fun anymore. Um, and he asked Marty to take a back seat on the, you know, general manager and the personnel stuff. And Marty refused. And that was it. And what, we, that, what does that mean? I'm not having any fun. What, what do you take that to mean? Well, he wanted to be involved I see. He, and Marty, Marty, Marty fired Vinny Serrato. He took away Fred Drasner, one of the co-owners parking spots from in front of the building in Ashburn and told Dan um, and had it in his contract. I make every single decision related to this football operation, period, or I won't take the job. And Dan, at that time, you know, gave it to him. But after a year, he wanted to be involved more. And so in hiring Steve Spurrier, he promised Spurrier a GM and Bobby Bethard. That never came about. Bethard didn't take the job. But Dan didn't really want to give it to him either. Dan wanted to be back involved, and he hired Vinny Serrato, and the two of them for the next nine years, basically, were the co-GMs. Wow. Yeah. 
uh, Standing was telling the story yesterday on, on my show too, about how, uh, Jeff George played a role in the fun too, where like Dan wanted Jeff George, even though Brad Johnson had been very, very good. And Marty after two games, not only benched Jeff George, but cut him. And you know, that wasn't as fun for Dan. And so you see that play out over the course of time when Dan was having Ramsey too. He's the one that worked out Patrick Ramsey and selected Ramsey. Um, by the way, Logan, you also asked just kind of about the the arrogance, too. I mean, I, I pointed out some of the incompetence. The arrogance was in this feeling that permeated the franchise. And anybody as a season ticket holder, a media member, a corporate partner that dealt with the franchise, for years they didn't treat you like a customer. They didn't treat you like a partner if you were a business partner. They, for years, felt like you were lucky that they were even allowing you to spend your money to be Mm. a part of it. And that went on until it couldn't go on anymore because they were losing fans, season ticket holders, corporate business partners by, you know, the droves year in and year out, especially over the last five years that really accelerated. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Kevin, do you think there was a point where there was an off-ramp for the football side to be better? And, uh, And some of the things that I'm thinking about to kind of frame the question, right? Sean's exit. We see what McVay becomes in LA, uh, how the Shanahan's were handled. Is there a way that the franchise gets handed, uh, to Kyle eventually, and he's the head coach here or some, some of the stuff that happened before 2010. Is there a way where the football is better on a more consistent level that they just kept driving down the road of incompetence past a pretty obvious on-ramp that could have perhaps changed the outcome. Obviously, the off the field stuff, I think, eventually catches up. You can't get investigated by Congress now. How good, you, no matter how good your football team is. Uh, but is there at least, from a football perspective, some off ramp that they passed? The off ramp would have been Dan Snyder having developing some self awareness at an older age. You know, which I don't know if those spots were ever going to be changed because the self awareness, if he had it, would have been looking in the mirror and saying, I'm the problem. And then it could have led to, here is the football person that's going to run the football operation and we're going to give him total autonomy to do it. And I'm going to stay out of it completely. I'm, I, no player relationships, no coach relationships, no ideas, no drafting of Dwayne Haskins, no 
timing, you know, guys at the Indy Combine. Um, but those moments were Marty Schottenheimer, for one. Um, Cooley always said to me, Dan's attempt, and Dan, you know, told him this, my attempt to become a better owner was to hire Bruce Allen. And, you know, and the reason for that is he got rid of Vinny Serrato. You know, the two of them were clowns. I mean, that was the biggest clown show for 10 years, with the exception of the Marty year that we had. Um, and he hired somebody that did have a reputation in the league as a really strong administrator, not a true football GM, but a strong administrator. And then he hired Mike Shanahan as well, but couldn't help himself. You know, the RG3 relationship between the two of them, Summerine, the relationship that RG3 had with the coach and the staff. Um, I don't know. I mean, there were off-ramp opportunities. Like, he was able to attract, you know, quality people. Marty, Joe Gibbs, Mike Shanahan, um, you know, Ron Rivera to a certain degree. Now, he had to pay for them. You know, uh, and in some cases, there weren't many options available, like in Ron's case. Uh, and Gibbs would have never gone back to another team necessarily. But I don't know. I think the the only way that things would have changed would for would have been for him to finally do what he never did. And that is take accountability rather than say, no, it's his fault and point fingers. Because it was always someone else's fault even if you know Burnley was out there telling everybody it was Bruce's fault you know the leaking of the John Gruden emails was a way to pin it on Bruce absolutely I think the uh the next thing I'd ask you is like you talked about all kind of this dysfunction on the football side you know the interpersonal relationships like from the new owners like what do they need to do kind of recapture some of that old fan base to kind of inspire the fans and, and kind of put a good football product back on the field? Uh, treat people well and be humble, for starters. Um, hopefully you'll have a likable ownership group. That'll mean a lot, I think, to the community. But more important than anything else is establishing a way to create a winning culture. And I think that starts with you know, accessing the best of the best and hiring somebody to oversee and run the football operation and then get out of his way um, and trust in it and let it breathe and let it marinate and give it time, um, you know, and hopefully this group is good at identifying talented people and not meddling. And then I, you know, believe, um, it's not just me, I think the majority of the fan base believes that this ownership group has to address the name and the brand. Um, at the very least, they have to take it seriously in terms of, you know, uh, there's a majority of this fan base that does not like the team name or, the, or the, the brand that is associated with it for whatever the reasons are. And there's no value in this current brand. You know, it's been here since February 2nd, 2022. There's no equity built up in it. Um, and whether they change it or not, I think it's important for them to appear to be serious uh, in approaching this subject because it's a very touchy and serious and important subject for the majority of their past fans um, and probably a majority of their present fans as well. I don't know about their future fans, 
Um, but I, I think that that's something that needs to be taken seriously, regardless of how it plays out. So the thing with the name that I, I struggle with, Kevin, is like there's no such thing as a good name for a team. Um, team, team names build up equity with fan bases because they win and because there are memories and nostalgia tied to that name. Very rarely is there anything that's actually like on its face. Oh, what an excellent name. Now you don't hear the XFL names and be like, Oh, what a great name. No, if, if the DC defenders are good for 20 years and they continue to be a sport uh, that people care about or a team that people care about, people are like, Oh yeah, I love the defenders. What a great, you know, a great brand. And so is there like, how do you address that in a way that isn't just allowing time to pass and success to happen? Uh, or is it something that because commanders is associated with Snyder that you feel like it has to go? A little bit of that, Craig, I don't disagree with you. I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I have a preference. I know the old name won't come back. My preference would be that Washington become the brand. I think the, the, the issue with this situation versus, you know, a new organization or a startup is that there was a 90 year or close to 90 year emotional attachment to the last brand. So whether, you know, so really more, more so than a startup situation, an expansion team, you were really gonna, I mean, look, I, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of the way things have been handled. Uh, a lot of the public-facing things have been handled, Sean Taylor, et cetera, the, the, the execution of the rollout of the name. But it was an impossible task for Jason Wright and Will Misselbrook in, in that group. Um, that you were never going to please everybody. And whatever it changes to, if they decide to change it, you're never going to be able to please everybody. Um, but there's something in the way this rolled out the lack of energy uh, by the people that actually came up with it, um, the clumsiness in in the handling of it, uh, the changing of the uniforms, I think, is a big thing for a lot of people. It doesn't look like the team that they you know grew up rooting for. Um, I think there is an answer here. I think the answer is Washington is the brand. Washington football team, FC Washington, Washington FC. And it's all about Washington being the brand. And like with soccer, there are nicknames that come about with the fan base. And many people might choose hogs or, or skins or, 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 or whatever. I mean, you know, the, the, the Washington Senators um, were here after the Washington Nationals were here. They changed the name to the Senators after, um, after many years. But many fans just call them the Nats for years, even before the latest iteration, the 2005 uh, iteration of the team. But the bottom line is this is a very real subject and issue for the majority of fans, and they should be able to multitask. Winning's the most important thing. That's the focus. Uh, but they can do more than one thing simultaneously, and I think they should explore whether or not this name and everything associated with it is a plus or a minus moving forward. If they decide, look, we went through everything and we took this seriously and we looked into this and we're going to stick with it for the following reasons. I think people could live with that, um, but I think that they need to be serious about this being an issue. That, that would be my recommendation anyway. So, I mean, obviously you mentioned that there's, you know, the defenders or the, um, you know, the DC or, or Washington brand, you know, like, is that 
is that the fix? Is that are enough people in support of that to make that happen? Because I feel like one of the issues I have with changing the name is that you're going to keep changing the name because people are going to be disenfranchised with it the entire time. Everyone's going to be like, oh, that's dumb or that's silly, kind of like to Craig's point. So to me, there's like no end to this. Like, I mean, is that, do you you feel that kind of same way or, or do you think they should just kind of cut the cord and do something completely different? The answer on a nickname, that's why my recommendation would be make Washington the brand. Um, you know, I know Washington football team felt a little clunky, um, but ultimately, um, Washington was the focus, you know, the name change was jarring, but the realization that the name had, had been changed really hit home for a lot of us on February 2nd, 2022, when the actual replacement name happened. Um, but anyway, look, I don't have any issue with those that say, no, just stick with it. It's fine. I'm fine with it. I'm not about to lecture people on their emotions. This is a very emotional issue for people. Um, And so I know that, well, it's my belief, and I think a lot of the polling from a lot of us through Twitter or whatever has indicated an overwhelming percentage of people who call themselves fans or called themselves fans think that the name should be changed. But to your point and to Craig's point, there's not a magic bullet answer. It's a a big challenge. You know, although I do think something that, you know, relates a little bit to the past, like Hogs has a better chance of sticking and being more uh, popular. Craig, to your point, maybe the new group rolling out the new name and doing it with just slightly more energy than the last group did and it not being associated with Dan, although I don't really associate Dan with this name. I associate Jason and Will Misselbrook and the whole team that came up with it more than I do Dan, but that's just me. But um, I I don't know. I, I don't have like the obvious solution. That's the problem. This conversation is very complex. I do think Washington solves the... I hate the new name you picked. Uh, I hate hogs or I hate red wolves or I hate, you know, whatever. Dan's plan all along was warriors. You know, they had that marked and then they didn't renew the mark. Uh, And I actually think that if that's what the team's name was right now and they had the same color scheme, uniform scheme, etc., I think it would have been more acceptable to more people. But I don't know. It's not an easy conversation. Well, it's not an easy um, solution, but I think it's easy for new ownership to address this, look into it, explore it, and take it seriously. I think it would be a mistake for them to come in and say, yeah, we're not even considering anything related to the name or brand. We're sticking with it. We're fine with it. I think that would be a mistake. Uh. I talked to someone recently who was in the know on how this process went. Let's just say the uh, congressional investigations and such didn't exactly help in any IP fight. Like the Golden State Warriors did not want to be uh, accidentally associated at all with with this football team over what was happening over the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, Kevin, if you want to talk about that another time uh, on either your show, your pod, whatever, uh, we can we can definitely dive into that. As for now, I know you have to go record your podcast. So thank you for your time on this one. Uh, we'll see you on Thursday at the Burgundy and Sold Party. Again, doors 430 at the bullpen. Kevin will have his show regular time 
10 a.m. to 1 p.m. I'll be broadcasting live from the bullpen starting at 4. Uh, everyone listening can come join starting at 4.30. Uh, Sheehan, appreciate you always, sir. Thank you. Looking forward to seeing you guys. Thanks.